Welcome to Old Boys Club, a podcast where two young women explain the ins and outs of Australian politics. And there's no such thing as a silly question. My name is Justine Landis-Hanley. I'm a Melbourne-based journalist and I used to work very briefly in politics. My name is Matilda Bosley. I'm also a Melbourne-based journalist and I have heating in my house now, finally, <laughs> after many months. If you go back to episode three, Matilda was talking about <laughs> how like, she got carbon dioxide poisoning from her okay, heating. Okay, it was carbon monoxide poisoning oh, and I did didn't get it because I watched the little ads that say check your heating and it turns out it would have poisoned us but now it didn't and then they had to install ducted heating in the ceiling and so now I have ducted heating and then I tweeted it out but I spelt it duck as in like (laughs) d-u-c-k and then I could have deleted it except someone across the table producer Anthony also my life partner decided to put a duck gif underneath it and then I couldn't it was too late people already knew and then I was embarrassed on Twitter.com. And yet you're still an employed journalist. And aren't we glad? <laughs> Coming up on the show this week, how the anti-lockdown protests are driving a wedge through the federal government and the Labor Party kind of quietly changed their position on taxation to basically copy the Liberal Party. Why they did that and what the hell negative gearing is, we're going to be talking about that on the show. Oof. We'll play it by ear whether we explain negative Matilda has or not. <laughs> spent an entire day trying to cram like years of tax education into her her large My brain. I was going to say your little brain. No, it's a large brain. Oh, we got quite late at night and we were, well, it is quite late at night right now. We're and, recording um, really late at night because Matilda's <laughs> just worked out what negative gearing Okay, is. miss, I finished writing my notes for this episode the same time Matilda did. <laughs> um, producer Alex was like, should we just try and record it tomorrow morning? And I'm like, this this knowledge is not going to last. <laughs> it's, it's, like a, it's like a year 12 exam. As soon as it's on the page, it's out of your brain. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Before we get started, though, we want to tell you that if you love the show and you want to support us, you can now do so on Patreon. That is patreon.com slash oldboysclubpod. It's a fantastic way to help keep the show going and, um, yeah, support us in that direct way. But if you can't financially support the show, you don't want to, that's totally fine. You can also support the show by shouting us out on Instagram. Yes, just take a screenshot of you listening to the podcast, tag us, pop it on your Instagram story, tag us at oldboysclubpod. It is pretty much the best possible way of getting the podcast out there and it genuinely really, really helps and we really appreciate it. And every time someone does it, we text a photo to each other and we're like, ah, and then we shout you out at the end of the episode. Yeah, it's fun, fun all round. Okay, Justine, to start off, why don't we jump back to what was happening this time last week when we were recording the podcast, last Saturday, when thousands of people poured to the streets of Sydney, of Melbourne, a few other places, I don't know, to protest lockdowns, like to say, we are done with this government controlling us. We want to have our freedom. And also, I don't know, I like Trump and I don't like vaccines. It was There was a lot of, there was a lot of ideology going on, not all of it consistent. A guy allegedly punched a horse. Oh, that's true. The man who predicts the New South Wales COVID cases from TikTok was there. It was bloody chock-a-blocked with Z-list names. Uh, let me tell you. Um, but including a few politicians, which yes. is interesting because all of the premiers pretty much 
universally hated this. Yes. Not all politicians. No. Tell me about this. Yes. Okay. So after the lockdown protests happened, we saw a number of politicians at state and federal levels coming out and saying, like, we condemn these protests. New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian and Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews. So Labor Labor and Liberal. Liberal. Labor, Liberal. Both hate it. Both Both hate it. Both would like to not be in lockdown and not have COVID in their state. So therefore they would like people to not do things that could spread COVID in their state. Yeah, I think on this podcast we can safely say that we're pretty anti-anti-lockdowns. We're not for the protests. I'd say that pretty firmly. We're here for acting responsibly and not putting other people's lives in danger. But even though the Prime Minister came out and opposed these protests, we had a Liberal National MP very publicly supporting them encouraging other people to attend them and attending them himself. Who was it? Please tell me. George Christensen. Doesn't surprise me, not one bit. Who's George Christensen for the people in the back? So George Christensen is a MP from Queensland. He's a member of the Liberal National Party in Queensland. They're one party together. Fun fact. He's like a national easy kind of dude, though. He's friends with Barnaby. Yeah, in, in the federal parliament, he sits with the nationals like yeah. side of things. So he's, he's very conservative. He's very religious. And he's uh, very fond of the Philippines. <laughs> it's true. He spent a lot of time there. I don't know how to explain that. Uh, he spent a lot of the time in the Philippines, but we don't need to explain it more. Google it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> anyway. Not to do, that has nothing to do with lockdowns. He also has been using his social media accounts to uh, question things like lockdowns, question the COVID testing, yeah. um, maybe go as far as to question the vaccines. So George Christensen came out and made a number of posts on Facebook promoting the lockdown and encouraging people to attend. Now, it's important to note that in his hometown in Queensland, in the town of Mackay, it was legal for him to attend the protest. The protest there was not like breaking laws like it was in Melbourne and Sydney. So his attending wasn't against the law. However, he did promote the protests in other states and encouraged people to attend them as well and and basically break the law. In one post about the Melbourne marches, he posted a quote from Martin Luther King, which I thought was interesting. And he said, quote, one has a moral responsibility to disobey unjust laws. Oh my gosh, they do bust out that quote a bit. Actually, every movement ever has busted out that quote. (laughs) Every like- I dare you to find a single ideology that hasn't got like a black and white picture of Martin Luther King looking like real- pensive and that quote written in like white cursive text (laughs) i mean he just had the text he didn't go as far to have martin luther king there george christensen (laughs) if you're going to commit do it properly (laughs) but george christensen wasn't the only federal politician who was supporting slash attending these protests according to the guardian former liberal mp turned independent slash contro figure craig kelly oh uncle kaza we talked about him several we talked about him a while ago go back and listen he didn't attend the sydney protest but he did apparently a phone call in to the brisbane protest to do a little speech I want to know if they had just had the phone on loudspeaker <laughs> and they were holding the mic up like to the butt of the iPhone. That's how I would ch- – I'm choose- w- regardless of how it was, that's how I'm choosing to imagine this scene. And Uncle Kaza went one step further. He also went to social media. He went to this app called Telegram and he posted, Gladys, chant and health hazard, the people are coming for you. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I can't say it with a straight face. I, I, the, the use of being able to use uh, Health Minister Brad Hazard's name to say hazard it's, I mean, gosh, they should have thought about it before they elected him to the ministerial <laughs> it's a role. Bit of 
Minister of Health. Uh, to be clear, why uh, Craig Kelly chooses to use Telegram a lot of the time is because he's quite often banned from Twitter. Yeah, uh, and other social media platforms. <laughs> he, he got a, for some of the posting surrounding these protests, he got a seven-day read-only situation on his account where he could log in but he couldn't post. On what platform? On Twitter. Oh, he yeah. got like Twitter banned. He got Twitter banned. <laughs> Imagine getting Twitter banned. Um, he can several times. Imagine that. <laughs> Twitter's like, oh, again. Okay, so we've got a couple of loose units out here from the federal government supporting it, including George Christensen, whose leader, like his boss, Scott Morrison, opposes these protests. Why are they out there? Why are these politicians supporting these rallies? Well, it's interesting. And look, to be honest, the people who were attending these protests were there for a lot of different reasons. As you were saying before, there was a real mixture of uh, different ideologies coming out to play. Not all of them pleasant. Not all of them wouldn't nice. Say, in fact, I'd say pretty low hit rate for pleasant ideologies. <laughs> I wouldn't go. I wouldn't attend. Uh, but I would say that to explain the reason why these politicians have been supporting these anti-lockdown protests, it really comes down to this belief that they don't think the federal government or any government for that matter should be able to impede and limit the freedom of people's movement and what they're allowed to do. Like they're like these lockdowns are affecting our freedom. The government shouldn't be able to tell you that you have to stay home, that you can't go to the shops, that you can't, you know, open your business for the day. That's really the crux of why they have come out and said they've supported these protests. I will say though that there has also been some anti-COVID, anti-vaccine rhetoric kind of moving throughout the more conservative members of the current Liberal government. Yeah, so there's a whole heap of ideologies. Some of it's like racial, political. Some of it's like conspiracy theory, COVID stuff. But there's also sort of a... I guess, a purist political view, which is about sort of personal freedoms and the ability for someone's kind of individual rights to trump any sort of uh, government control that you can have on a person. That's what they say. Okay, so how did the Prime Minister react? Specifically, how did he react to George Christensen, who's one of his dudes, one of his like employees out the back? How did he react to George Christensen being there? Yeah, so... Scott Morrison was asked on Sunday, the day after the protests, how did he feel about George Christensen, one of his own like government MPs, being at these rallies. And it's hard. He really had to walk a fine line between condemning the lockdown protests, supporting freedom of speech, and not putting one of his own MPs on blast. A tough line to walk. Uh, not putting one of his MPs on blast to the degree that they might go to the crossbench and threaten the government's power. Might right? quit the party and then, yeah. and then ruin their ability to pass laws. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So on Sunday, Scott Morrison was asked about the lockdowns and George Christensen's social media comments. And Scott Morrison decided to respond to these questions in two very separate parts. He's like, okay, first I'm going to deal with just like the lockdown protests. And I thought that they were selfish, self-defeating, because they're not going to end lockdowns any sooner. He said that, quote, it will only risk the lockdowns running further. And he accused people at the Sydney rally of putting more people at risk, putting their loved ones at risk, threatening to spread the Delta variant throughout the state even worse. And we already know it's not going great. So on that note, he was like, no, I hate these protests. Wow, that seems very self-contained. Let's move on to an entirely separate issue, which is George <laughs> Christensen being at one of those protests. Go on. Yeah, so turning to George Christensen, involvement, he kind of tried to avoid the problem by saying that, oh, you know, it's okay for people to go to protests when they're in states that aren't in lockdown. Like he wasn't breaking any rules. So specifically, Scott Morrison said, quote, 
As for other parts of the country that aren't in lockdown, well, there's such a thing as free speech and I'm not about imposing those sorts of restrictions on people's free speech. In Queensland, there are no lockdowns. And it was interesting because The Guardian's reporter Paul Karp, he was trying to press Morrison on George Christensen's not only attendance at the Queensland rally, like, okay, sure, Queensland wasn't in lockdown, but he was really trying to be like, hey, ScoMo, you do realize that Georgie Boy was also encouraging people in Sydney and Melbourne to break the law and go to the rallies. Like, he didn't go to them, but he was trying to enable people to go to them. How did you feel about that? And Scott Morrison just, like, kind of ignored the question, and he just was like, I don't support any suggestion that people should gather like they did in Sydney yesterday whatsoever. Oh, wow, that sounds like that wasn't the question. No. (laughs) It's funny as well, Barnaby Joyce, who's literally George Christensen's, like, direct boss, he's the head of the Nationals. Head of the Nationals party. He was sort of being asked about it, and he did that thing where you just, like, take the argument to the absolute, like, most ridiculous place to try and defeat it. He's like, (laughs) what what do you want me to do is free speech. I think he literally said, like, do you want me to go to the protest and tackle him? I didn't know what he was going to say. I didn't. And the interview was like, no, obviously I don't want you to go and tackle him. Like, do you <laughs> want to, in this public platform at this moment, condemn the action? What do you want me to do? Lock him in jail? You're allowed to have free speech. It's just quite interesting to me. The Like, these politicians are in a very tricky <laughs> position where they really can't afford to alienate these, you know, loose units too much. Yeah. Um, just just the ways they try and get around these questions is uh, it's uh, it's 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 fascinating. That's what's happening within the Liberal National Federal Government. You know, we've got this key player George Christensen who's directly speaking and acting out against the Prime Minister's wishes and what he says that we should be doing as a country. Let's move on to how lockdowns and particularly like this anti-lockdown movement is affecting the Liberal Party. So, okay, so the Liberal Party isn't just the MPs who are in power who are in government. No. There's a whole other cloud of people who are like important political people but they're not like elected officials at the moment. They're influential but they're not actual politicians right now. Yeah, they could be like advisors, they could be key players within the state party branches, they could go to local meetings, those kinds of people. Okay, so we're, we're talking about liberal, the Liberal Party now uh, as, as, a, as a political party, not as a government. Yes, yes, okay. yes, yes. So within the Liberal Party, we've also seen recently this division emerging over lockdowns and in particular the fact that the New South Wales government, a Liberal national government, is supporting a huge lockdown in Sydney right now. So recently we have seen the revival of another political party called the Australian Liberal Democrats. So wait, you're saying the divide has gone so far that we're now starting a new party? We're starting to see members of the Liberal Party, some key players, leaving the Liberal Party and trying to instead put all their support behind this other party called the Australian Liberal Democrats. And again, to be clear, this isn't federal MPs leaving and creating an own party within parliament. We're talking about like behind the scenes party stuff. Key players have been stepping down and starting reviving the Liberal Democrats. Yes. Which leads me to the question, what are the Liberal Democrats? Okay, so the Liberal Democrats, it's not like a new party. It was actually founded back in 2001 and it's like hardcore Liberal Party. Their values, they're like... We want to have a government that has as little control over people as possible. Low taxes, freedom to own guns, 
easing the laws around smoking and vaping. And also randomly, they want to increase mining. I don't really know how that relates to personal freedoms, but they want that So it's like libertarian plus mining. Libertarian plus mining, yeah. They just love coal. (laughs) So, And they should have the individual right to love coal. (laughs) They want you to know that you can love coal. You can vape in a coal mine. That's a promise. With a gun. <laughs> yeah, you can. And pay no taxes. <laughs> a tax-free, vape-filled, gun-toting coal mine paradise is what they are promising. That's the their haven. People. Yeah. So they've actually had quite a bit of electoral success for such a sm- – like, they're a tiny party, to be clear. They're tiny. But their major win was this guy called David Lionhelm, who was like a total loose unit, who got elected in the Senate for New South Wales back in 2013. So to federal parliament, he was elected from this tiny party. And they actually almost got a second person elected to Senate in New South Wales, but then they didn't. Um, and so there was like this whole like, you know, maybe they're going to become something. But then David Lionhelm quit federal politics and they just haven't been able to replace his seat. Like they didn't get enough votes in the last election. So they kind of like fizzled out. So it's not like, yeah, they're not, it's not about starting a new party. It's like taking this party that's like limping along, barely surviving and like injecting some like major gun, vape, mine, (laughs) coal, roids into it. Yes. And so a couple of Liberal Party members and even maybe a former Liberal state premier have left the Liberal Party and are joining the Liberal Democrats party to try and revive the party and run at the next election. So one of those people who joined the party is the former Liberal Party member, Ross Cameron. He was actually an MP in John Howard's government. So he used to be in power. In He's not a current federal MP. He used to be a Liberal federal MP. So he has left the Liberal Party, quite dramatic for a former MP of a party to do this. To disavow the party they use their whole career to, like, get behind. Exactly. So he left the party and he told The Australian, the newspaper last week, that this new party he's joined, the Liberal Democrats, they are going to run at the next federal election on an anti-lockdown message. And what they're hoping to do is emulate the success of, you know, the Brexit campaign in the UK. I'm aware of it. Yes. So that was a really successful campaign because it had a really simple message, which was like, take back control. We want to take back control of the UK's economy. And so the Liberal Democrats and and a number of like their key players like Ross Cameron, um, they've been saying this message like freedom, not fear, like we're going to end lockdowns. We're going to go to the next election and be like, we will never let you go into lockdowns again. What they're saying is we're going to stop lockdowns. What I'm hearing is Is get Delta. You're going to get COVID. You're going to get COVID. (laughs) Okay. So besides the Delta variant being on their side, who else has joined this party? (laughs) So I can just imagine this little like angry virus being like, yes, my party is emerging. (laughs) He's vaping the virus particle. (laughs) A tiny gun. He's got a little mining hat on top. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so in addition to COVID, rumoured to be joining the Liberal Democrats, this is the juicy part, um, is former Queensland Premier Campbell Newman. Premier, you say? Yeah, former Liberal Premier. I used to live in Queensland. He was a Premier there for a long time. So he just announced last week that he's left the Liberal Party, saying it's because of the failure by leaders to, quote, support the fierce independence of spirit in Australia. And what he means by that is that he's upset with how the Liberal government has handled COVID and in particular, like implementing lockdowns, border closures, international border closures. So the Australian reported that the Liberal Democrats have been talking to him about whether he'll like run in the Senate for Queensland for them at the next federal election. So, you know, to be confirmed. 
Okay, so what I'm wondering now is, okay, we've got this, like, revived party. Yes. Have they got a hope in hell of winning anything next election? So maybe. I will say maybe because it seems as though they're trying to be very strategic about this. So what Ross Cameron has told the Australian last week is that the party is going to try and target state Senate seats. So the reason why they're targeting the Senate, and this is an important sidebar, we get a lot of questions actually sent in to us, like what's the difference between the House of Reps and the Senate? How you vote is- The carpet colour. <laughs> also the carpet colour, but also how you vote. Um, so in the House of Representatives, you are elected based on how many people voted in your little electorate. Okay, yeah. lots of electorates throughout the state and it's how you do in your electorate. So you as a party, you might have tons of support in the state. You might have 20% of the state voting for you. But unless all those people are living in the same suburb, like the same little electorate, really hard to elect someone to the House of Reps. Yeah, like it doesn't matter if like 10% of the whole state supports you. If it's 10% of each electorate supports you, you're still going to get no seats Yeah, whatsoever. and that's why the Greens don't have many seats in the House of Reps because they actually have like a decent chunk of the whole state voting for them. But that power isn't concentrated very much in Australia. It Except is concent- for in Melbourne. In Melbourne. <laughs> I was going to say, that's why they had the one person in Adam the House Bant. of Reps, Adam Bant, from Melbourne. Um, it's because the only place that there's enough um, green supporters no, to have a majority. But that's why there's that joke about inner city latte sipping lefties, because like they're all concentrated in Melbourne and they all vote for him. Um, so that's like the one place where they have the majority. So it's really hard for like small emerging parties who have support across the state but not like concentrated enough in one electorate to win to get into House of Representatives. But, aha, in the Senate, though, much easier for small parties to get elected because you just need to hit a certain number of votes in the entire state. So if you have enough support statewide, you could get a Senate seat. And I think that that's what this party is really banking on. If they go with a really clear message of anti-lockdowns, they might be able to get enough support across an entire state that they will get enough votes to get at least one senator elected. Yeah, they're never going to have like the majority of, you know, one single electorate densely packed altogether, but they might get, you know, 3% here, 2% there, a little bit enough to altogether they end up with enough to get a senator. Well, seat. yeah, to illustrate it, all those people that went to those lockdown protests, they would live all across like Sydney, all across New South Wales. What they're hoping is that all those people will vote for them. And it doesn't matter that they live in different electorates because they all live in the same state, they could support them enough. Is is it foregone though or is it still a bit of an outside shot that they'll get these seats? I mean, it's definitely still like an out. It's definitely like an outside shot. But I think what is concerning is the fact that we these anti-lockdown protests did get, you know, thousands of people attending. Thousands of people is not enough to win you a Senate seat, but you know, it's still thousands of people willing to break the law for this cause. It's a start. It's a start. not as good to turn up this weekend. So who knows? Maybe the Liberal Democrat moment has passed. So turning to our next story, Labor has this week basically gone back on two of its biggest financial policies from the last election. Number one, opposing the Liberal Party's tax cuts. And number two, trying to limit negative gearing and many from the left have labelled this move as an abandonment of Labor's core values as a political party. But what are these tax cuts and what actually is negative gearing anyway? And why on earth is Labor no longer opposing them? Matilda, 
Okay. You have spent okay. hours okay, trying guys. to trying to learn this. I don't I I I disagree with the term trying to work out. I now understand it. I'm now a little expert. You are. I'm re- everyone, okay, we're going to be talking about taxes. We are going to throw around a number or two, but I want everyone to take in a deep breath and and release. I'm going to make this as non-numbery as I possibly can. <laughs> Um, Okay, so obviously to start off with, like, I will get to why Labor first opposed these things and now no longer opposes them. But first, I think we can all agree we need to sit down and just go over what these things actually are. Yes, and in terms that you can understand if you didn't do, like, special mathematics in high school. Well, I did do specialist mathematics in high school. Amazing. And I still don't fucking get it. Okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) No, I do actually get it now. Okay, so we're going to go quickly do a little crash course in what negative gearing is first because, honestly, it's the simpler of the two. Okay, and then we're going to go to the tax cuts. Then we're going to go to the tax cuts. Okay. I just want to flag everyone because I know the anxiety raises when we start talking about taxes. The heart rate goes up. Mine specifically. So just we're just signposting everything. Number one. Negative gearing. What is negative gearing, okay. Matilda? So negative gearing, in the context that we're going to be talking about it, is all about investment properties and how the income you make from like renting out a property affects your taxes. Okay. Okay. So imagine you're a person. <laughs> I am a person. You make a hundred grand a year at your normal office job. Okay, this is now getting harder to believe. Yes, I make a okay. hundred grand a year. At your normal office job. Forget about that for the moment. Okay. okay. Just keep that in the back of your mind. Okay. You're gonna buy a house for like a million dollars. Okay, I'm buying a house. And you take out like a big big bank loan, lots probably of, like nine hundred thousand yeah, dollars. <laughs> lots of interest on the loan, blah yeah. blah. Yeah. You're you this is just an investment property, so you start renting out that property. Okay. And that person who you're renting it out to pays you like 40k a year in rent. I'm raking it in. Except you are not oh. because the bank is charging you $50,000 a year in interest on that big loan. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if I've worked this out very well. Oh, wait. You actually have. Oh, have You're I? quite a savvy investor. <laughs> so basically you've got $40,000 of income yep. and $50,000 of expenses yes. to do with this property. So that means that I am spending $10,000 more on this property a year than I'm getting. Yeah. You're, you're losing ten k on this Got it, investment. got it, yeah. So what negative gearing is, is taking that 10K loss mm-hmm. and saying, well, look, I'm making $10,000 less in income than I would be normally. So therefore, you shouldn't tax me on my like normal income of $100,000 because mm. actually I'm only making $90,000 oh. because I lost the $10,000 on that investment property. Oh. So therefore, you should only tax me like $90,000 of income worth of tax, not $100,000. Okay, so let me get this straight. I earn $100,000 a year, but because I am having to put 10000 of those dollars to like cover the cost of my investment property – you shouldn't tax me government on 100000 You should be taxing me on $90,000. Yeah, because you have like this income loss. So therefore your overall income is less. Like your Wild. overall income is technically less. It's a way that you can make a proportion of, you know, the money back of this investment property in your own like personal income taxes. Wait, Matilda. Okay. So this sounds like it would benefit people who have enough money to be able to buy investment properties in the first place and rent them out and, like, have a decent income and take huge mortgages out. 
Why would the government pass a law to help people who have like that much money in the first place? Uh, first of all, correct. Yes, it is basically a sort of another way for rich people to pay less tax. Like yes. if we're going to get it under the bare bones of it. Um, <laughs> it's not actually like something that the government is directly like allowing. It's not like a law that's been passed saying you are uh-huh. allowed to negative gear. It's more of a situation that's naturally arisen from just the way that our tax system is set up. Okay. But it means that there's this extra motivation for people with disposable income to invest in property, which mm. means that there's more people bidding on properties, which means that there's less properties that maybe might be available, which means the properties that are available is going for more, which means that the whole property market rises in price. Like Australia has this big problem at the moment with housing affordability and negative gearing is a significant puzzle piece in that whole situation. Right, because you have all these wealthy people bidding on properties just for the sake of like then being able to rent them out. And so you have like a lot of demand for properties in the market and then a lot of those properties just turning into rental properties as opposed to like people actually going and living in them. Yeah, it's it's bad for like a first home buyer if it's like a young couple in their 30s wanting to buy a home to live in. Yes. You're now competing against a lot of people who have these very considerable tax incentives. Okay, so the government hasn't like legislated negative gearing and brought into it existence. into yeah. existence, but they're not opposing it. No, because, I mean, it, it's kind of good for mum and pop investors to a certain degree. Like, mm. you know, it, it isn't only billionaires that are benefiting from this. It's, it's a lot of middle to high income people yes. who can reap the benefits of this. Liberal government's pretty okay with that. So that's what negative gearing is. And for years, Labor said that they wanted to regulate negative gearing. If they got into power, they were going to introduce laws to limit your ability to negative gear stuff. Party's over, folks. (laughs) You have been negative gearing for too long and now the new sheriff's in town. (laughs) Exactly. But this week they came out and said that, look, they're not going to try and limit this power anymore. They're not going to bring in laws to reduce negative gearing. New sheriff's in town. But turns out town's quite nice. Not going to make any changes, actually. (laughs) Exactly. Okay, so that's negative gearing. Let's turn to the second part of Labor's announcement this week. So in addition to saying they're no longer going to try and limit negative gearing, Labor also came out and said that they are no longer going to oppose the federal government's tax plan. They're going to support the federal government's tax plan. Which raises the obvious question, which is, what was the federal government's tax plan? It's a good question. Let me answer it. (laughs) So in 2018, the Liberal National Government, the people in power, introduced in the federal budget for that year this fairly wide-ranging, ambitious new tax plan called the, uh, funnily enough, the Personal Income Tax Plan, um, which would over the next seven years in three distinct stages make it so the majority of the population of Australia would be paying less in income tax. So the amount of money that they earn from their job, less of that money would be going to the government. Yes, and that begs the question, how does the tax system work? Which I'm going to (laughs) answer. Yes, so the whole deal with the personal income tax plan is that they were going to fiddle with the tax brackets. What are the tax brackets, Justine? How How does our whole system work? Okay, so to understand... What Labor is supporting and opposing, you need to understand how the Australian tax system works and what tax brackets are. So Australia has a progressive taxation system, and this is what it currently looks like. So I've, I'm earning $100,000 a year. Of course, you were negative gearing just yes. but a second ago. <laughs> yes. So I'm earning $100,000 a year. And the way the taxation system 
works is we're going to divide that $100,000 into piles of money, each of which is going to be taxed differently. Oh my gosh. I know. Sounds confusing, but we're going to get through it together. So let's take my first, I've got my big pile of money. I'm holding my hands out in front of you. Like I've got it there. It's all imaginary, like all my financial savings. Let's take the first $18,000 that I've earned. Yeah. Pile one. Pile one is my first $18,000. I get to keep all of that money. Straight in the bank. No tax paid on it. No tax whatsoever. Yeah, and that's the case for everyone listening. If Like the first $18,000 that you earn, you pay no tax on it. No. Straight to your bank. Okay. And if you earned less than $18,000, you don't pay a cent in tax. If yeah. that's where your income finished, that would be the case. Your income doesn't finish though. It no, I earned $100,000. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So let's take the next chunk of my money, all the, which takes me all the way up to $45,000. So eighteen, everything you're earning between $18,000 and $45,000. Yes. The government is going to take 19 cents for every one of those dollars. So they take the 19 cents for every dollar there and I get to keep the rest of that money. And that's not saying that the moment you start making $18,001, you're suddenly paying 19% of your income in tax. No, you're paying 19% on the $1 that you're making over $18,000. Yeah. It's chunks. You get to keep that $18,000 no matter what. It's this next chunk that you're now paying 19% of or 19 cents for every dollar. Cool. Government gets that money. I put the rest in the bank. Let's turn to this last chunk of money that I have. Yeah. Because so, you terminate at 100000 and it goes above. <laughs> terminate, that sounds so dark. <laughs> yes, so for all the money I earn between $45,000 and $100,000, this final big chunk of money, I'm going to be paying $0.32, cents, around $0.32 cents on every dollar made. Because that tax bracket goes from 45000 to $120,000. Yeah, and that's where my money ends. Yeah. And then if you keep going on and on, there are other tax brackets, the higher that you go. Yeah, it gets up to 45%. The most you'll ever pay for any tax in Australia is $0.45 cents on the dollar. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But I'm not doing that because I only earn up to $100,000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so to summarize, got my eighteen grand, totally not touched by the government. Next chunk of money, I paid 19 cents on all the dollars. And then the final chunk of money, I paid 32-ish cents on all those dollars. Yeah. And the reason why we have this progressive taxation system is because we have this belief as a society that if you earn more money, you can pay more in tax. Like someone earning $18,000 or less. They need every cent. You need all the cents that you can get. But the more money you earn... The, the greater percentage the government can take in tax because you're less likely to need it to, like, survive. And also, very, 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 very basically speaking, um, the Liberal governments want you to be paying less in tax and the Labor governments would be liking the people who earn less to be paying less and the people who earn more to be paying a lot more. So what was the Liberal government's tax plan doing? Yeah, okay. So when you were explaining that whole tax system, you were talking about those brackets, you know, 0 to 18,000, 18 to 45. Like we have these clear start and end points for these brackets. What the personal income tax plan does is fiddle with where those brackets start and end and generally fiddle with them in a way that people will overall be paying less to the government. Yes. And it also has just like explicitly reduced the amount of tax that you pay in certain categories. Yes. But it doesn't benefit everyone equally. And that's where we start having problems. So let's dive into what actually those three stages of the tax plan are. So stage one and two actually aren't that controversial. So we won't spend too much time on them. It's suffice to say stage one meant that low income people were generally paying less in tax, which labor supports. Everyone was pretty happy with that one. 
that started in like 2018 to 2019 that was brought in. Yeah. From 2020 onwards, we start with stage two. Stage two, still pretty non-controversial, helps out low-income people a bit, helps out like middle-income people a decent amount. So, you know, we spoke about that sort of like middle-income tax bracket, that 45 to 120,000. Yes. That actually before stage two used to be 45 to 90,000. Yes, and then people who are earning from 90,000 to 180,000, they were paying a higher rate of tax. Yeah, like 37%. It jumped a fair amount. But suddenly stage two came in and they brought that up from 90,000. They took that bracket and shifted it up to 120,000. So suddenly everyone earning between $45,000, which is like a fairly low income, mm. to $120,000, which is like a very healthy, decent income, were being taxed at the same rate for that sort of section of their money, which like it's not like people were jazzed about it. The Greens certainly didn't like that. They're oh, saying they like they did not like that. They're saying like okay, if you've got $120,000, we shouldn't, you know, why are we helping out these people? They're clearly rich people, but Labor didn't care that much much about it like this is still we're sort of talking mum and pop family areas you know we're not billionaires yet no what was really controversial was the stage three tax cuts which are being introduced in 2024 so they haven't happened yet and what do they do okay so stage three really starts benefiting the people who are making chunky chunky paychecks making bank so remember how we said that stage two kind of broadened that like middle income bracket. Yes. Stage three plans to fucking broaden that boy again. Oh. Instead of that sort of upper limit being one hundred and twenty thousand, mm-hmm. it's going to become two hundred thousand dollars. Which, to put in context, isn't just like moving the bracket up. It's totally absorbing the whole next bracket up, yeah. and then even pushing the highest bracket further up. So the highest tax bracket possible used to start at $180,000. That will now start at $200,000. So all the money you earn from $45,000, like low income areas, to $200,000, like rich. We're, we're into rich territory at yeah, $200,000. Yeah, that's six figures twice over. Yeah. That is all taxed the same amount. And they're also oh, also lower. They're lowering it from 32 to 30% yeah, as so, well. So instead of paying 32 cents on all those dollars, you're paying 30 cents on all those dollars. Yeah, which like if you're, you know, in the lower end of that now massive tax bracket, that still benefits you. You're like, I'm paying less tax. That's great. But it is far more of a benefit for people who are much further up the sort of financial pyramid. Okay. Matilda, I feel like I'm asking a bit of an obvious question here, but how did Labor feel about stage three tax cuts previously? Uh, They did not like it at (laughs) all. In fact, they hated it. In fact, they called it reckless, outrageous, ineffective, terrible spending that will entrench inequality in the Australian uh, social system for decades to come. And why did they feel that way? Yeah, that's an interesting um, point. So let me break it down for you. So we've talked about all of these tax cuts, blah, 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 blah. Overall, from like now until like the early 2030s, so like the next decade, that is going to equate to the whole of the Australian population paying a total of $184 billion less to the government. Mm. Something that really helped me get my head around this whole situation is you have to sort of think about tax cuts like the same way you'd think about government spending. So saying we're going to bring in these tax cuts that will mean that we get $184 billion less 
in 10 years' time is the same as saying, I'm going to set up this new program that's going to cost the government $184 billion in 10 years' time. Like, it's the same effect, right? Because it means that the government doesn't have that money to spend on other public services. Yeah, and the philosophy is, from the Liberal Party at least, that that money is better for the economy in the pockets of people rather than the government. So they're like, yeah, it's expensive for us, but we believe that it's going to serve a greater good. Yeah. And Labor says, no, it's expensive for us, and I believe that it's going to cause aggressive social inequality and be bad overall. And it means that the federal government doesn't have as much money to put towards public services like hospitals and schools and welfare. Which and- generally benefit the people who are making less income. I want to break down for you exactly what I mean about, like, why it benefits rich people more than poor people. Yes. So, okay, $184 billion. Yes. How much of that pie do you think is being saved by the top 20% of earners, the top fifth of society? How much of that pie do you think they're getting in their pockets? $100 billion? $130 billion. Okay. Yeah. Of so- course. Yeah, you're pretty close. Um, so 184, 130-ish are going to the top 20%. Mm. Guess how much is going to the bottom 40%. So the, everyone earning less than $60,000 a year, that's the bottom 40% of Australian taxpayers. Yeah. Guess how much savings collectively they will be getting. $30 billion? $3 billion. $3.1. The bottom 40% of Australians will receive a total savings of $3.1 billion. The top 20%, Mm. $130 Right. And on top of that, what Labor used to say is that it's not actually as effective for stimulating the economy, which is what the Liberals want to do, cutting taxes for the rich because rich people on average spend a much, 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 much smaller percentage of their income. Yeah. In the economy in general, it goes into a savings account, it gets tucked away because they don't need to spend it. But if you're giving more money to lower income people, there's a lot of stuff low income people need to buy. It's going to go back into the economy much more. And that's why in situations like COVID and where you have all this economic stress, you give the stimulus payments to low income people, right? They're more likely to spend it to survive rather than put in a savings account. So what Labor has been saying previously is that this is ridiculously expensive It's only contributing to an already kind of bad situation of income inequality in Australia, Mm. and it's not even an effective way to stimulate the economy, which is the whole thing that you're claiming that you're wanting to do. Labor was pissed off at this. And then this week they said, oh, actually, we're going to embrace these stage three tax cuts. Yeah. Previously they had said, we don't mind stage one and two. They can stay. But if we get into power, I bet you bet your fucking ass stage three is going to be out the door the moment we get in. And now they have said, you know what? If we get in, stage three can stay. We're not going to worry too much about it. Okay. So now we know what negative gearing is and we know what the stage three tax cuts are. And now we know that Labor is supporting both of them, even though they previously didn't used to support them. Mm -hmm. Correct. Why did they change their minds? Yeah, it sounds like a very sort of fundamental betrayal of their core beliefs, right? Yes, Yes. correct. Uh, But there is a very pragmatic reason why they have done this, and it is all to do with the upcoming election. Ah, yes, explain. Okay, so Labor went hard on these things last election. Like, these were core tenets being like, we will oppose this, we will control negative gearing, and they got destroyed by the Liberal Party over it. Yes. Because as I've been mentioning, this benefits rich people a lot, yes, 
it doesn't only benefit rich people. So the Liberals had this real ability to come in and be like, excuse me, Labor, you were trying to steal the money away from hardworking Australians. You are punishing people for working hard their whole life, finally getting to a financial position where they're well off and you just want to take that Australian dream away from them and just destroy them. And how dare you, you evil piece of shit, basically. Yes, yes. And very effective messaging. Oh, it worked. If you remember, uh, the Liberals won the last election. (laughs) And so... Labor's kind of learnt from that lesson. That whole idea of like going in hard for like income equality and like curbing the rich didn't work for Labor. So this time round, they're going for a much safer approach. So let's look at the situation currently in Australia. The Liberal National Government have not been doing well these last couple of months. They have messed up. They've opened themselves up to a lot of criticism about the vaccine rollout, about handling lockdowns, about the fact that Australia's borders are still closed internationally. Well, look at the simple fact that you can directly link Sydney's lockdown to the lack of vaccines, really directly. Like the vaccine rollout being so slow has directly caused this situation where New South Wales, the state where there is a lot of seats that Labor is wanting to win, has got the majority of their population in lockdown. Yeah, and also the state government there is a Liberal government. Yeah. It's not good overall. And also, remember, New South Wales and Sydney is responsible for a huge amount of Australia's economy. That's currently in lockdown. That is having a significantly negative effect on Australia's economy. Like, the Liberal government is in serious trouble right now. Yes, and not to mention the numerous allegations of sexual assault and harassment that have also been levied against the federal government and its handling of those allegations has also not been great this year. No, completely. So Labor's going, um, we actually have a chance Guys, we have a shot. We we not only have a shot, we have a shot to like pitch ourselves as like the economically responsible (laughs) ones, which if you listen to last week's episode, you will know how much of a big deal that is. Yes. So what Labor has been going for the last couple of months is like, shit, we need to shut down any opportunity the Liberal National Coalition has to target us when it comes to financial stuff. And their, their biggest weak spots at the moment were the negative gearing and these tax cuts, opposing these tax cuts. Because, yes. as we said, the Liberal Party can dig in about, like, you're destroying the Australian dream and the Labor Party has gone, fuck it, it's just not worth it. Yes. It's a pragmatic decision that the amount of money that they would save from opposing these, like, very high income tax cuts is just not worth the amount of ammunition the Liberal government would get from the Labor Party still saying that they would oppose it. And I think that the Labor Party is also banking on the idea that, sure, this might be going against their ideology and they have faced criticism for this. But I think what they're hoping is that despite that, they're still going to be people's preferred choice. Yeah. What they're trying to do is target in on those pissed off swing voters, people who vote either way, or even those pissed off like centrist liberal voters. Yeah who have been really stung by this vaccine Morrison mess up and they're trying to just make them not be ridiculously uncomfortable voting Labor. (laughs) Labor's trying to be as safe as they can, being like, yeah, you're pissed off at Morrison. Morrison's hurt you. Just come over to us. Don't think too much. They put on some sunglasses. They're like, we're cool, guys. Like, come hang out with us. Yeah, this is just about being bland enough that people's rage at Morrison won't outweigh their like uncomfortability about like, oh, what about my negative? 
of gearing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. they just want to be a safe option for people to, like, get revenge at the Liberal Party from. And guess what? Elbow's fucking bland enough to pull it off. <laughs> like, Bill, why? Bill Shorten couldn't have done this. People didn't like him a lot. Like, he couldn't have won this last election this way. No one cares about Elbow. No one has a strong opinion he's either very, way. He's very vanilla. He can just be, like, as small and inoffensive as possible and the Labor Party consequently can be as small as inoffensive as possible and that's how they believe they're going to get in next election. Like a high school movie where, like, the person has betrayed their friends to sit at the popular <gasps> table <laughs> and you're like, Will Janice Ian take Katie Harry back? We'll see at the next federal election. No, but it genuinely is like that because they're sitting at the table with the mean girls in order to dethrone the mean girls and kick them out. (gasps) Katie Heron for prime minister. Elbows come back from his homeschooling in Africa and is ready to take over the Australian government. That is all we have time for this week. I need to forget everything I just said. You deleted Get it out of my brain. You deleted all this space in your brain to like learn everything about negative gearing. Yeah. The Hamilton soundtrack gone, gone, gone. gone. <laughs> what gone. else is gone? How does a bastard, orphan, son of a depreciating asset value, <laughs> become a war vet? Yes, go on. <laughs> all of your high school special mathematics gone. I can't even remember the name of my high school. Do you remember my name? No. Okay. Thanks. Well, we do Thank have a Thank num- you so much for this capital gains tax. Could you please take <laughs> us out? Um, we have a number of names that we do need to shout out, though. Thank you so much to everyone who shouted us out on Instagram this last week. We appreciate it so, so much. So we need to give a big thank you to at Slut for Tequila. That's so, it's, it's a, such a place to start and I appreciate it so much. <laughs> I love name on our list. Thank I am, you so as much. also a slut for tequila, I will agree. Thank Go you, on. slut for tequila. And thank you also to Miss L, Mike, Bear, Aaron, Emily, Elizabeth, Amy, Hannah, Peach, Brydance, Samara, Claire, Logan, Samil, and Shameless Podcast. And also we would like to acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the land of the Burrowung people of the Eastern Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to elders past and present. This land was stolen and never Seated. And we also acknowledge the country that you are joining us from and pay our respects to any other Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people who are listening today. The theme music for our podcast is by the fantastic Alexis Weaver. Our show is produced, mixed and edited by Anthony Furchie and Alex Ty. I'm Matilda Bosley. I'm Justine Landis-Hanley. And, and this, this is Old Boys Club. Club. Maybe we should start a political party. Sluts for tequila. Put it on your ballot. <laughs> He loves licorice. The New South Wales police gave him licorice. Let him retire. Honestly, horses shouldn't have jobs. Yeah, horses shouldn't have jobs. They're My, happy. I'm overall supportive of the opinion of animals being unemployed. <laughs> That's veganism. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>